Today I have chosen some incidents in the lives of the female companions of the Holy Prophet to present before you. When one reads and listens to their accounts, they are left amazed at how these female companions, by virtue of the Holy Prophet's blessed company and spiritual influence, demonstrated such excellent examples of virtue in every aspect of their life, in a way that will forever remain sparkling in the annals of history. I will only be able to present rather articulate examples as it is not even possible to touch on all the various aspects of the lives of the female companions, let alone mention every companion and each example from their respective lives. Nonetheless, I'll present the few examples that I've chosen. They comprise of incidents of their lofty standards of worship and relationships with Allah, incidents of their love and fidelity for the Messenger of Allah some examples of their great calibre of financial sacrifice, examples of how they laid down their lives for faith and even prepared their children to do the same. Similarly, there is an example or two on the way in which they conducted the spiritual training of their children. These women used to love the world and its pleasures before accepting Islam. They aspired toward many materialistic goals, but when they accepted true faith, they sacrificed all their desires for the love of Allah Almighty and His Messenger there are many narrations that illustrate their impressive standards of worship, the great extents to which they would go in order to achieve the nearness of God Almighty, and just how much Allah Himself also loved them. The 
There's a narration about Hazrat Hamna bin Tijahsh anha, that once when the Messenger of Allah وسلم, entered the mosque, he saw a rope hanging suspended between two pillars. He asked what the rope was doing there. He was informed that this rope is for Hamna bin Tijahsh, who when she grows weary and exhausted from offering Salat, uses it to lean on for support. The Messenger of Allah responded, she should only offer as much Salat as is easy for her, and when she becomes tired, she should sit down. Another narration reads that when the Messenger of Allah asked about the rope, he was told that it belonged to Hazrat Zainab, the pure wife of the Holy Prophet and that when she would grow tired from long prayers or took a break, she would use it as a support. At this, the Holy Prophet instructed for the rope to be removed. He said, remember that only as long as one of you is conscious and well aware, he should pray. When he feels tired or takes a break, he should sit down. So these female companions possessed a great passion and zeal for the worship of Allah. But considering the balance Islam commands of, the Holy Prophet explained that while striving towards high standards of worship is important, one shouldn't put himself in such difficulty as causes one to neglect the rights of the physical body. And secondly, that while one should certainly aspire toward high standards of worship, they should only go to such an extent as is consistently sustainable. Not that one spends all night offering nawafil prayers and then sleeps the whole day after that in a way that causes them to miss even the obligatory prayers. A narration that provides guidance on this aspect of regularity and consistency in worship is as follows. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu anha narrates that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, came to me. There was with me a lady. The Holy Prophet وسلم, asked me, Who is she? Hazrat Aisha radiallahu anha answered that this woman doesn't sleep all night and continuously worships. On hearing this, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, replied, You should do what you actually possess the power to do. By God, Allah Almighty does not tire, but you will tire. And the religion that is dearest to Allah is one in which his servant is regular in carrying this worship out. Hazrat Abdullah bin Abbas, whilst referring to the high standards of one of the female companions of the Prophet ﷺ states, in regards to his mother, the amount of affection that my mother had with keeping a fast was so much that she would fast on every Monday and Thursday. There is also a narration from Hazrat Umul Mu'mineen. This narration is from Hazrat Maimuna bin Tiharith. The Prophet on an occasion was distributing the spoils of war amongst a group of Muhajireen. Hazrat Zainab bin Tijahash mentioned something for which she was strongly scolded by Hazrat Umar. The Prophet told Hazrat Umar, O Umar, let her be, she is Allah i.e. a person whose sighs are frequent out of fear and love of God, and you should not become one who is punished by God due to her sigh. It is mentioned that someone inquired from the Holy Prophet ﷺ about the meaning of Allah. 
To this, the Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, A person who fears Allah prays profusely and is extremely humble. These were the high standards of spirituality that were set by women as well. And Allah the Almighty has never differentiated between men and women when it comes to setting such spiritual standards. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ reminded Hazrat Umar to pay attention to the high standard of righteousness of a woman and warned him about being cautious of her sigh that is expressed due to the fear of God. The ones amongst us who try to reach such a high standard are indeed so fortunate. There are also examples recorded in history of the extraordinary love demonstrated for the Holy Prophet and such expression of love was shown by women. The standard of their worship was so high that they had to be instructed to worship in moderation and not that they had to be reminded for prayer. Then, it is their love for the Holy Prophet for which women have also set high standards. These were the standards set by women which inspired men to advance in their love for the Prophet and in their sacrifices for faith. Similarly, Hazrat Muslim has described an incident in relation to this in his own manner that when the false news of the martyrdom of the Prophet ﷺ had spread during the Battle of Uhud, and when the weak of faith and the cowards abandoned the battlefield and were running back to the city of Medina, that is when the Muslim women ran towards the Uhud battleground in a frenzied manner, and some also managed to reach up to the battlefield in their attempt. It is mentioned in regard to one woman who reached the Uhud battleground that she asked a man about the well-being of the Prophet ﷺ, to which the man responded to her by saying, Lady, your father has been killed. She responded to this by saying, I am not inquiring from you about my father, rather I am asking you about the well-being of the Prophet ﷺ. It is stated in various narrations that the man informed this woman about the death of her father, brother, son and husband. In other narrations, it is stated that the man informed this woman about the demise of three of her male relatives, her father, brother and husband. However, every time this woman would respond by saying, I am not inquiring about the death of my relatives from you, rather I am inquiring about the current well-being status of the Prophet The person responded to her by saying that the Prophet was safe and well. She then ran towards the Uhud battlefield and the sentence she exclaimed at the time expressed how much love she had for the Prophet ﷺ. She kept running towards the Uhud battlefield and would say to every Muslim soldier, مَا فَعَلَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Which means, what has the Prophet ﷺ done? Hazrat Muslimah states that this is an expression that is specifically exclaimed by women and no man can make this expression up. This is because women tend to say, Oh, what have you done? You have left us all alone and left at the time of the demise of her son or husband. Hence, this exclamation of what has the Prophet done is a natural feminine expression and no historian can concoct this wording used here because this expression cannot be voiced by anyone besides women in such a situation. The woman kept on saying, Oh, what have you done, O Prophet of God You left us all alone after becoming a martyr. She still didn't feel assured about the safety of the Prophet ﷺ, even after the insurance she had received by the companion earlier, and she insisted to the companion to take her to the Prophet ﷺ. When she finally saw the Prophet ﷺ well and alive, she ran towards him and grabbed the hem of his shirt. 
The Prophet said to her, I am saddened for you that your father, brother and husband were all martyred in the battle. The woman responded to this by saying, I do not care about the death of anyone else as long as you are alive. This is the truth of the love for the Holy Prophet which we have learned from the Muslim women in the early period of Islam. In fact, this is the expression of love they have demonstrated for us. This isn't the only example of such love. In fact, there are many more such examples. There is also a narration in regards to the expression of love for the Prophet demonstrated by an elderly woman. The women and children of Medina came out onto the streets in order to welcome back the Prophet upon his return from the Battle of Uhud. A veteran and brave Ansar companion by the name of Saad bin Muadh held the reign of the Prophet's camel and he was leading forward with great pride. Hazrat Saad saw his aging mother whose eyesight had become weak close to the city and one of her sons had also been martyred in the Battle of Uhud. The eyes of the old lady were suffering from cataract which made her eyesight very weak. She stood in front of the other women and looked around searching for the Prophet Hadith Saad bin Muad thought that his mother would experience a great trauma if she is to find out about the martyrdom of one of her sons. He therefore desired that the Prophet should encourage and console her in this situation. Therefore, as soon as he saw his mother, he told the Prophet O Prophet of God, this is my mother. He pointed her out to the Prophet so that he can offer his condolences to her. The Prophet whilst addressing the mother stated, Lady, I am deeply saddened that your son was martyred in this battle. The eyesight of the elderly lady was weak, therefore she couldn't see the face of the Prophet She kept looking around and eventually her gaze set upon the face of the Prophet She then moved closer to the Prophet and said, O Prophet of God, now that I have seen you to be alive and well, Consider that my sorrows have been erased and devoured within me. <coughs> Hazrat Muslim Maud explains this incident by saying, Pay attention to this incident in which a woman who had lost her system of support during her elderly age, her means of support, her son, had been martyred. Yet she bravely ex- exclaimed that the sorrow of her son's demise is incapable of eating her up. And she would erase and devour that sorrow as long as the Prophet ﷺ is alive and well. The sorrow of her, my son's death would not become the reason for my own demise. Rather, seeing that the Prophet ﷺ is well and alive, and the fact that my son sacrificed his life in order to protect the Prophet ﷺ, is a thought that would always give me power and strength. Here you can see the great and wonderful sacrifice of these women which helped the spread of Islam in this world. And the same principle would be applied in this day and age in order to spread Islam, that our men and women should be ready to offer any sacrifice required and they should be those who fulfill their oaths. Today, we have the duty of propagating and spreading the message of Islam throughout the world. And we must fulfill this duty without any fear and worry. Then there is another unique expression of love for the Holy Prophet has Anas narrates that Hazrat Umm Salim, who was the foster aunt of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, used to lay down a mat made of leather for the Holy Prophet ﷺ, and he would rest in the afternoon on this mat. Hazrat Anas relates that on one occasion when the Holy Prophet ﷺ was resting, Hazrat Umm Salim 
took the sweat and hair of the Holy Prophet and placed it in a glass bottle. She then mixed it into a perfume. In another narration, Hazrat Anas bin Malik narrates, The Holy Prophet would visit the house of Hazrat Umar Salaam and take rest on her mat when she was not at home. One day the Holy Prophet came and slept on her mat. She was informed that the Holy Prophet had come to her house and was resting on her mat. He further says, When Umar Salaam came, at the time the Holy Prophet was sweating and all his sweat was gathering on a piece of leather. She opened a small case and soaked up the sweat. She then took out a bottle and emptied the sweat into the bottle. The Holy Prophet woke up and asked, O Ummi Sulaim, what are you doing? She replied, O Messenger of Allah, we wish to seek blessings for our children through this sweat. The Holy Prophet replied, you have done correctly. With regards to the extent female companions would strive to follow the advice of the Holy Prophet even in personal matters, there is a narration in which it states that three days after the demise of Hazrat Umul Mu'mineen, Ummi Hubayba's father, Hazrat Abu Sufyan, and Hazrat Umul Mu'mineen Zainab bint Jahash, after the demise of her brother, put on perfume and then said, By God, I did not need to do this, but I heard our master, the Holy Prophet say, A woman who believes in Allah Almighty and the last day, it is not permissible for her to mourn a deceased person for longer than three nights, except for her husband. Her mourning period for that is four months and ten days. Hazrat Zainab bint Abi Salma says, I went to Hazrat Umm Habiba when her father Abu Sufyan passed away. She asked for some perfume which had a yellow tinge or contained some other form of fragrance. She put some on another woman and rubbed some on her cheeks, i.e. for beautification. After this, she said, By Allah, I do not need to put on perfume. However, I heard the Holy Prophet say, It is not permissible for a woman who believes in Allah and the last day to mourn for more than three days and abstain from adorning themselves, except in the case it is her husband. In such a case, she ought to abstain from adorning herself for four months and ten days. With respect to showing absolute obedience to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, there is an incident of a female companion, Hazrat Fatima bin Dikais, radiallahu anha, who was among the foremost women who migrated due to the acceptance of Islam, stated, Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Awf came with a group of companions to present a marriage proposal saying that the Holy Prophet had proposed my marriage to his freed slave Usama bin Zayd. I had heard that the Holy Prophet had said that whoever loved him should also love Usama. 
Thus, when the Holy Prophet spoke to me regarding this, I said to him, I entrust this matter to you. You may arrange my marriage to whoever you deem appropriate. Take note of an incident which demonstrates a young woman's love for the Holy Prophet and her complete obedience to him. Abu Barza Aslami narrates that the Holy Prophet said to a man from the Ansar, Give your daughter to me for a marriage proposal. The man replied, O Messenger of Allah, how wonderful and blessed! The Holy Prophet said, I don't request this for myself. I am not making the proposal for myself. The man asked, Then for whom, O Messenger of Allah? The Holy Prophet replied, For Julaybib. He was a slave of dark complexion who had accepted Islam. The man from the Ansar said, O Messenger of Allah, I will confer with the girl's mother. Hence he went to the girl's mother and said, The Messenger of Allah has sent a proposal for your daughter. His wife said, That is wonderful. What more could a person want? The man clarified that the Holy Prophet did not wish the proposal for himself. Rather, he wanted it for Julaybib. She said for Julaybib, the slave? No, absolutely not. By God, I will never give my daughter in marriage to him. When the man was about to go to the Holy Prophet to inform him about what the mother had said and that she had rejected the proposal, the girl came and asked, Who has sent a proposal for me? Her mother explained to her the entire incident to which the girl said, Will you reject the proposal from the Holy Prophet This can never be the case. Please arrange my marriage with whoever the Holy Prophet has advised. God Almighty will never forsake me. Thus her father went to the Holy Prophet and said, If you are content with this marriage proposal, then we are also happy. The Holy Prophet then arranged for her marriage with Julaybib. It is mentioned in narrations that her husband was martyred in the Battle of Uhud. The Holy Prophet ﷺ prayed for the widow's prosperity and well-being. It was the blessings of those prayers that she was counted amongst the wealthiest of all the widows in Medina. This was the standards of obedience of the Holy Prophet ﷺ set by a young girl. Then there are some incidents of financial sacrifices. The first incident is in relation to Hazrat Khadija radiallahu anha, who gave everything she owned to the Holy Prophet She gave him all her wealth and slaves. The Holy Prophet had immense respect and admiration for Hazrat Khadija radiallahu anha. Regarding this, Hazrat Aisha radiallahu anha says, there was never a time when the Holy Prophet ﷺ departed the house and failed to mention or praise Hazrat Khadija. Hazrat Aisha anha says, One day when he mentioned her, jealousy stirred within me, and I said, She was just an old woman. Allah has granted you better in her place, and you have many other wives. Upon hearing this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ became infuriated. He said, I swear by Allah, Allah has not granted me better than her. She believed in me when others rejected me. 
She attested to my truthfulness when others called me a liar, and she helped me with all her wealth at a time when others withheld their wealth from me. Allah the Almighty bestowed me children through her and not through anyone else. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu anha says that she said to herself that she would never speak ill of Hazrat Khadija after that. Whilst mentioning about historical accounts relating to Hazrat Khadija, Hazrat Muslihimaud radiallahu anhu says, When Hazrat Khadija accepted Islam, little did she know that in exchange for her belief, Allah the Almighty would bestow countless blessings upon her. Undoubtedly, she sacrificed all her wealth for the sake of Islam and Muhammad to such an extent that she went from being the wealthiest woman in Mecca to being compelled to live a life of poverty and destitution. And in the three long years spent in the valley of Abu Talib, she underwent such hardships that as soon as she left the valley, she passed away. However, Allah the Almighty blessed her sacrifices to such a degree that today the entire Islamic world admires and reveres her name. Allah the Almighty filled the Holy Prophet's heart with so much love for her that when Abu'l As, who was the Holy Prophet's son-in-law and had not accepted Islam, was imprisoned in the Battle of Badr, Hazrat Zainab, anha, his daughter, who was still in Mecca, sent a necklace as ransom for her husband. This was the same necklace that Hazrat Khadija anha, had given to Hazrat Zainab at the time of her marriage. Seeing this necklace brought back memories of Hazrat Khadija and tears began to flow from the Holy Prophet's eyes. He asked the companions, If you agree, we can send this token of Khadija back to her daughter, i.e. to return the necklace. The Holy Prophet always recalled the sacrifice of Hazrat Khadija Hazrat Aisha was not far behind her in terms of offering financial sacrifices and there are many narrations about her. It is recorded that one of Hazrat Aisha's salient qualities was her generosity and kindness. Hazrat Abdullah bin Zubair narrates that he did not see anyone that was more generous than her. On one occasion, Hazrat Amir Muawiyah sent her one lakh, 100,000 dirhams. Before the evening, she had given all of it away in charity and did not keep anything for herself. Coincidentally, she was fasting on that day. Her maid said that there was nothing to eat to break her fast, to which she asked her why she had not mentioned it before. With regards to the financial sacrifices of the noble wives of the Holy Prophet there is a narration in which Hazrat Aisha anha stated that some of the wives of the Holy Prophet said to him, Who from among them will be the first to meet him in the hereafter? The Holy Prophet replied that it would be the one with the longest hands. Thus they took a reed or a stick and began to measure their hands. Among them, Hazrat Sauda had the longest hands. But they later learnt that by long hands, the Holy Prophet referred to giving alms. Thus, from among the wives, Hazrat Zainab was the first to meet the Holy Prophet and she used to spend large amounts in alms. In the Battle of Tabuk, 
The financial sacrifices offered by the female companions of the Holy Prophet have been recorded, that they would offer sacrifices beyond their means. Umm Sinan Aslami narrates that in Hazrat Aisha anha's house, I saw a sheet which was spread out before the Holy Prophet on which there were fragrances, bracelets, earrings, rings and anklets that the women had presented for the jihad of the Muslims. Even today, we can say that there are countless Ahmadi women who sacrifice their wealth and jewellery without hesitation. They are ever ready to spend generously in the way of their faith. And at times, in fact, they have been told to stop. May Allah the Almighty grant the Ahmadiyya community more women like them and bless them and their wealth. We find more accounts in books of history about how the female companions even sacrificed their lives, which undoubtedly is a means of breathing a new spirit within us. Despite the passing of hundreds of years, there are means of refreshing our faith. In historical accounts, we find mention of the barbaric treatment of Hazrat Ammar's parents by the disbelievers. Hazrat Musleh who has mentioned this incident in a speech of his, wherein he says the disbelievers would severely torment his father Yasir and his mother Sumayya. On one occasion they were being tortured. The Holy Prophet walked past them. When he saw them being tortured, his heart was filled with anguish. He said to them, Sabran ala Yasir, fa inna ma'idakumul jannah. That, O family of Yasir, be patient, for God has prepared an abode for you in paradise. In a few days, these words were fulfilled because Yasir was beaten so much that he died. The disbelievers did not stop at this. They continued their brutal treatment of his elderly wife, Sumayya. One day Abu Jahl became enraged and stabbed her in the groin area with a spear so violently that it penetrated the leg and reached her stomach. She lay there squirming, eventually giving up her life. What was the level of faith of the women in the early period of Islam and how did they sacrifice the love of their husbands for the love they had for the Holy Prophet I have already mentioned two incidents in this regard previously. Listen to this example where the husband was still alive. This incident is where a woman not only gave preference to the love of God Almighty and rejected the affection shown by her husband, but she also rebuked him. In the time of the Holy Prophet various battles took place. But the most dangerous battle was when news spread that the Byzantine forces were marching on Arabia. The Byzantine army compared with the Arabs was the same as the British forces. Hazrat Muslim has mentioned this incident in the time when the British ruled over vast countries of the world. It was akin to the British forces, or if we use the example of USA today. It was a huge army and was similar to if they attacked a population of 1 or 1.2 million, i.e. if a big power attacked a small power. At the time, the Byzantines ruled over Lebanon, Armenia, all of Turkey, parts of Russia, Austria, Hungary, Libya, as well as the coastal areas of Africa. 
They were all under the Byzantine occupation. The population of these countries was 20 million. Compared with this, the population of the entire Arabian Peninsula was approximately 200 to 250,000. Furthermore, they, the Byzantines, were a wealthy and strong power. Hence, the most delicate time for the Muslims was when news spread that the Byzantine forces were marching towards Arabia. Thus, the Holy Prophet decided that instead of the Byzantine forces attacking them, it would be best if the Muslim army went out to meet them. Therefore, the Holy Prophet went with an army of 10 to 12,000 and went to combat the Byzantine army. At the time, the Holy Prophet ordered that every sincere believer should prepare for battle. Prior to this, the Holy Prophet had sent a companion on a task outside of Medina. In his absence, the Holy Prophet departed from Medina. The companion who was sent on a task returned, by which the time the Holy Prophet already left, and he had been away for a long time. When he returned, the companion only knew that the Holy Prophet had departed from Medina. We see in the world that when a person returns home after a long time, it is natural for that person to express his affection for his wife. This companion also wished to do the same and express his love for his wife. However, she moved him away and said, Have you no shame? The Holy Prophet has departed for a battle and you wish to be affectionate at this time? This had such a profound impact on this companion that he immediately mounted his horse and left for battle. This was a test between the love of her husband and the love of God. It was not the case that the woman did not love her husband. However, when she saw that the Holy Prophet was in danger and her husband was in comfort, she could not bear to see this. Hence, she sent her husband away, saying, At this time, the Holy Prophet and Islam need you. Go and lay down your life for the cause. Then there is an account of a woman who demonstrated utmost courage in order to sacrifice her life for the sake of her faith. When Hazrat Umm Sharik accepted Islam, her idolatrous relatives took her from her home and placed her on an extremely wild and unruly camel. They would give her bread with honey to eat and not a single drop of water to drink. They would also make her stand in the scorching heat which would cause her to lose consciousness. They treated her in this manner for three days continuously and then told her to leave the faith she had adopted. Hazrat Umm Sharik says that apart from a few words, she was unable to understand what they were saying and so they pointed towards the skies and gestured that she should abandon her belief in Tawheed, the oneness of God. Upon this she stated, I swear by Allah, I will stand firmly upon Tawheed even if I have to die for it. Then there is another account in relation to enduring hardship and placing one's trust and complete faith in Allah the Almighty. Hazrat Zunaira Rumi was amongst those who excelled others in Islam. She accepted Islam right at the outset and the idolaters would inflict her with great pain. It is said that she was a bondswoman of the Banu Makhzum and Abu Jahl would inflict her with great pain. Or perhaps she was the bondswoman of Banu Abdaddar. But in any case, she was a bondswoman. When she accepted Islam, she lost her eyesight, and the idolaters would say that Zunaira had become blind due to her rejection of Lat and Uzza, 
These were the two major idols of the idolaters. Upon this, Hazrat Zunaira anha said, Lat and Uzza are not even aware of who worships them. They are mere idols. What can they possibly do to me? This illness is from the heavens. In other words, it was the will of God, and my Lord has the power to restore my sight. She proclaimed that Allah the Almighty was all-powerful, and if He had taken her sight away from her, He also had the power to return it as well without any treatment. It is written in the tradition that the very next day she woke up to find that Allah the Almighty had restored her eyesight. She woke up and her eyesight was completely normal. Upon this, the Quraysh said, This has happened because Muhammad had cast a magic spell the night before, and thus your eyesight has been restored. However, she said, This is the grace of Allah the Almighty which He has bestowed upon me. In any case, upon witnessing the pain she was suffering at their hands, Hazrat Abu Bakr bought her from them and then freed her. These were the women who fulfilled their oath in order to establish the unity of God and to safeguard their faith. There is another account in relation to safeguarding one's faith and being ever ready to sacrifice one's life. Hazrat Abu Bakr passed by a bondswoman from the Banu Muammal tribe. She was a Muslim and Umar bin Khattab was tormenting her so that she would abandon Islam. In those days, Hazrat Umar was still a polytheist and he would beat this bondswoman so much that he would be completely exhausted from it and would say, I have only stopped because of exhaustion. This was the extent he would beat her that he would become tired from doing so. However, she never renounced her belief in Islam and would say, May Allah cause you to be treated in the same manner. Hazrat Abu Bakr bought her as well and freed her. Then there is an account of a woman who sacrificed her sons for the sake of her faith. During the era of Hazrat Umar, a battle was taking place in Qadisiya, Iraq, and Khosrows brought elephants onto the battlefield. Since camels are fearful of elephants, Therefore, the camels of the Muslims would flee upon seeing them, and subsequently the Muslims suffered great loss and many Muslims died. One day, the Muslims decided that no matter what happened, they would not leave from the battlefield until they had defeated the enemy. A woman, Hazrat Khansa, brought her four sons onto the battlefield and said to them, My dear sons, your father squandered all his wealth in his lifetime. When your father died, he did not leave behind any wealth. At the time I was young and your father had no inheritance. During his lifetime he never afforded me with any kind of comfort or kind treatment. In light of the prevalent customs and traditions of the Arabs, if I had indulged in any act of immorality, there would not have been any objection against me. However, I lived my entire life virtuously. She told her sons that tomorrow a decisive battle is going to take place. The Muslims have decided that either death or victory. I have many rights over you. She recounted how she raised them up and thus she had many rights over them. Tomorrow there will be a battle between disbelief and Islam. If you return without having attained victory, I will express before God Almighty that I shall not forsake any of my rights I have over them. In this way, 
she prepared her sons for battle and sent them. Thereafter, out of anxiousness, she went into a jungle and with utmost fervency she began to pray before Allah the Almighty and prayed, O my Allah, I have sent all four of my sons to lay their lives down for the sake of their faith. However, you possess the power to bring them back. And so Allah the Almighty bestowed his blessings and the Muslims were granted victory and all four of her sons returned alive. Whilst expounding upon having faith in the hereafter, Hazrat Muslim Maud mentioned this incident and wrote, This display of courage and bravery was owing to their faith in the hereafter. These people believed that the salvation of the world was only through Islam. They had no concern even if they lost their lives in this cause, for they knew that through these sacrifices the world would be saved and Islam would become victorious. Our sacrifices too shall not go in vain, and Allah the Almighty shall also bestow His rewards upon us owing to these sacrifices of ours. Thus this was their mindset that their lives had no significance and that they were to sacrifice everything for the sake of Islam. The female companions of the Holy Prophet also had the passion of instilling the love for God Almighty and His Messenger and to establish a relationship with Him in the hearts of their children right from their birth. There are many accounts in relation to how they made an effort for this. One incident is as follows. Hazrat Asma narrates, I was expecting Hazrat Abdullah bin Zubair. I left from Makkah and at the time I had completed the full term of pregnancy. When I arrived in Medina, I stopped in Kuba and gave birth. I then took the newborn child to the Holy Prophet and placed him in his lap. The Holy Prophet asked for a date and chewed it and then placed a tiny bit in his mouth. Thus, the first thing that entered his stomach was the saliva of the Holy Prophet Then with the date, he was given his first lick of food as a symbolic gesture. Thereafter, the Holy Prophet prayed for him and sought blessings for him. Abdullah bin Zubair was the first child who was born in Islam after the migration. Then there is a narration of how these women would morally train their children. Hazrat Thabit narrates that Hazrat Anas reported, The Holy Prophet came to me whilst I was playing along with other children. The Holy Prophet offered his greetings of peace and then sent me to carry out a task. He called me over to him and confidentially spoke to me about a task which he sent me to do. I returned home quite late and my mother inquired as to why I had come so late. I informed her that the Holy Prophet had sent me for some work. She asked what the task was that I had gone for and I replied that it was a confidential matter. Upon this she stated that in such a case you should certainly not disclose this confidential matter of the Holy Prophet Thus right from his childhood, his mother trained him not to disclose anything that was confidential and not even to her. Hazrat Anas radiallahu states, By God, if I could tell anyone, then O Thabit, I would have told you. Whilst narrating this incident, Hazrat Thabit inquired what the matter was. However, Hazrat Anas radiallahu told him, that the Holy Prophet had prohibited him from disclosing the information and then his mother had further emphasized to keep it confidential, therefore he could not share the information. Thus, this was how they imparted moral training. As I mentioned, since the matter was confidential, therefore the Holy Prophet no doubt 
would have told him not to disclose the information and so when his mother inquired the matter, he refused to disclose the information to her as well. His mother, who also possessed moral excellence, she further emphasized to, to never share the matter with anyone. Thus, this form of moral training is also important, particularly for the office bearers who should not only not disclose the confidential matters of the Jamaat, but also train their children about this as well. Firstly, one should not discuss such matters before their children because a confidential matter, whether of a personal nature or related to Jamaat, is a trust. A matter which is not supposed to be shared in public should not be disclosed even to an individual whom it does not concern. Moreover, discussing confidential matters of the Jamaat or of someone's personal matter in the home has an impact on the upbringing of the children. Therefore, one should avoid this. And at times, this can also have an impact on the wider society as well. Therefore, one should always pay attention to this and refrain from doing so. Whilst mentioning the historical accounts in relation to the upbringing of the children and the strong faith required as a result of this, Hazrat Musleh Maudra writes, after midnight had passed, the Holy Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims of Medina gathered once again at the Valley of Uqba. On this occasion, his, his uncle Abbas was also with the Holy Prophet ﷺ, and the total number of Muslims this time was 73. 62 were from the Khazraj tribe and 11 from the Aus tribe. Two women were also part of the delegation. One of them was Ummi Amara from the Banu Najjar tribe. Through Musab, these people had learnt of the detailed teachings of Islam and they were filled with faith and conviction. The later incidents proved that these people were indeed like a pillar for Islam. Umayyamara, who was part of the delegation, had deeply rooted the love for Islam in her children to such a degree that when her son Khubeb, in some narrations it is also written as Habib, was captured by the army of Musail Makadhab after the demise of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. He called for him to be brought before him and asked, Do you testify that Muhammad ﷺ is the messenger of Allah? Upon this, Khubeb replied in the affirmative. Thereafter, Musailma asked, Do you testify that I am the messenger of Allah? Khubeb replied, No. Upon this, Musailma ordered for one of his body parts, either his hand or his foot, to be cut off. Upon his hand being cut off, Musailma once again asked him, Do you testify that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah? Again, Khubeb replied in the affirmative. He then asked, Do you testify that I am the Messenger of Allah? Khubeb replied, No. He then had another part of his body cut. Each time he would cut a part of his body, he would repeat the question as to whether he testified that he was the Messenger of Allah, and each time Khubeb would say no. Subsequently, all of his body parts, one at a time, were cut off and he met his Lord whilst proclaiming his faith. Umi Amara anha herself also participated in many battles alongside the Holy Prophet It was the moral training of Umi Amara anha that had made this child of her so firm in his faith. These were the mothers who enabled faith to run through the veins of their children. This is the very standard of faith which is the means of Islam's progress. And this is the very standard which we are to instill within ourselves and in our children so that we can also play our role in the renaissance of Islam. These are not just accounts for us to listen to, rather we should always be mindful of them and make these examples a part of our lives to ensure the success of our faith and to establish a bond with God Almighty. We are to set such standards in our worship, love for the Holy Prophet financial sacrifices and the sacrifices of our lives. Indeed, there are many Ahmadi women who are demonstrating extraordinary 
standards of financial sacrifice, just as I mentioned. However, those women in particular who are financially affluent should assess themselves. Those women whose husbands prevent them from this should say to them that they are not willing to listen to them when it comes to matters that contravene with their faith. With regards to presenting sacrifices of one's life, today it is only the Ahmadiyya community who has this distinct honour and this too is owing to the moral training of the mothers. Indeed, the mothers also receive a share of the reward of the sacrifices rendered by men. It has also come to my attention that there is a section amongst the women who, whilst repeating the pledge, begin to reflect whether they should repeat the part of the pledge where it mentions the sacrificing of one's progeny. However, there is no doubt that there are women in the Jamaat today who are ever ready to sacrifice their children for the sake of their faith. They write letters to me and request for prayers and train their children in such a manner so that they are always ready to offer sacrifices for their faith. We should always be mindful of the fact that the Dajjal has hatched its satanic ploys everywhere. The most pressing need of today is to make an effort to elevate the standards of our worship, to excel in our love for the Holy Prophet and to pay special focus towards the moral upbringing of our children. We should instill the importance of faith in them to such an extent that they always give precedence to their faith over the world, supplicate with such passion and pain so that it stirs the mercy of God Almighty and instead of becoming immersed in the material pursuits of the world, our children have a heartfelt desire to learn about the religion of God Almighty, form a connection with faith and instill love for the Holy Prophet May Allah the Almighty grant every Ahmadi woman the ability to attain this standard. If women pay attention towards this, then this will also become a means of the reformation of the men. May Allah the Almighty enable every Ahmadi woman, man, child and elder to establish a truly Islamic society, which was the reason why in this age Allah the Almighty sent the promised Messiah May Allah the Almighty grant everyone the opportunity to do so. Please join me in silent prayer.